Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebri. And I am Jessica Tercero. And this week we watched The Birdcage. We decided to get gay with this set of movies. Finally. So many, okay, so many movies are about white dudes and about dudes being mad and it's it's so hard to find remakes that are like specifically centered around women or queer people because uh, we haven't really been allowed to tell stories for a long time. So, um, but it was nice. I'm really excited because these are, despite all of their flaws, a fun set of movies, I think. Um, I think so. I, yeah. um, I mean, again, there's some big, big moments of like, woo, gay misogyny. We love the first one way, way more so than the second. Not to say that the second wasn't flawed, but absolutely the first one more so. Yeah. What I really enjoyed about these movies is the most nuanced characters in both of them were the the couple that we sent her around. Renato and Albin. Renato and Albin. And for the second one, too, like they are so nuanced and like they they feel so full of depth and every other character feels so one dimensional um, that that was just a really nice i i don't like one dimensional characters generally but i loved that being like shifted you know so that way we got to see oh, yeah. queer people as fully realized complicated flawed beautiful brilliant people I, you know i think my favorite thing is with these two movies um including the first one which i had not seen was the fact that like i mean most movies there is an assumed heteronormative setting there's an assumed like it's straight unless otherwise proven and oftentimes it's white unless otherwise proven or it's male like in all those ways like that is the expectation it's expected to be white it's expected to be male it's expected to be straight but i like in this movie despite white males again being at the center and the forefront of the storytelling which blah um there is no assumption of straightness it is literally the gayest space with the gayest people queer 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 and the thing that is unassumed that is introduced as like a a device of derision or a device of drama is straightness like that's what throws the world out of whack is like the straight world coming into the queer space that's what throws everything off it's an assumed queerness and unless otherwise proven which is the opposite of what almost all media is so that to me just by itself was so like yeah, that's how you tell a gay story. That's how you tell a queer story. Like, it's not, don't, like, just even even w- what is considered, like, gay current media oftentimes is still centered around straightness or around heteronormativity. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, well, they happen to be gay and now it's a gay thing that's a gay a gay character who's in a straight world and that's the conflict. No, these ones, it's a queer world. It is a gay world. The conflict is the straight world coming in and causing a ruckus. That's what I was just yes. like, this is, the way it's reframed is just, I think, very beautiful. I thought it was fantastic. And it's not like they're struggling either. Like, they are doing so well. They have their whole world, and they are so successful, and they have 
presumably whatever they want, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's it's this world that they have built for themselves, surrounded by people like them. And, like, they're all doing pretty fucking good with it, too. Like, so yeah. it's not like... I like that we don't see that kind of a struggle. The struggle is more internal and, or like you said, like straightness and the religiousness coming in and, oh, yeah, and creating the problem, right? And yeah. like trying to just be there when it doesn't need to be and change things that don't need to be changed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's to that, to that same effect. It's, it's wonderful to see a gay story where like in the end, one of them doesn't die. Or like one of them doesn't get sick or one of them isn't like they end up yes. breaking up. Because like, I mean, There's I think no... that was a part. Oh, God, what was that historic clause? There was something. Fuck, I'm I'm going to just spew some misinformation bullshit. Anyways, look up gay cinema laws or whatever. Because I believe that there was an actual law in cinema, in filmmaking at the early turn of this last century. Regarding the only way gay characters are to be depicted is if it is depicted negatively in the sense that if there's gay love, that gay love has to end in death or separation or whatever to uphold the morality of the public. No, no, I I think again, I like, I don't want to be look misinformation Susie over here being like, anyways, (laughs) I saw it on Facebook. No, no, no. I believe it's true. I'm a big ignorant fool in this moment because I don't remember exactly what it is, but I do believe it's a thing. And if you're listening and I'm wrong and I'm making shit up, please call my ass out because I didn't study for this. <laughs> so, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it tracks. Like, I'll, I'm definitely going to look it up after this conversation. But, like, that tracks because, like, there is the whole barrier gaze trope, right? That yeah. Which is, like, anytime you have a queer love story, like you said, it has to end in death or tragedy. And that's just... So, so harmful. So, yeah, I'm going to look that up because that would be a systemic way <laughs> that yeah. uh, oppression occurs. Which would be Ugh. great. You know, we we love. We love to see it. Let's call that shit um, up. Should, should we go into the first one? I think we should. Let's do it. In mid-70s France, a young man named Laurent informs his father that he is engaged to be married to his girlfriend, Andrea. That father is Renato Baldi, owner of the famous French drag bar La Cage à Faux. Laurent informs his father before the wedding. Her conservative parents would like to meet his parents for dinner. Gay gasp! After Renato and his partner, Albin, disastrously attempt appearing and performing more masculine, Renato asks Laurent's biological mother to perform for one evening as his wife. Letters get missed. The dinner is disastrous. Gay slapstick ensues. Cue le cessoir de pointure. Oh Hooray! my goodness, you're so much better at French than I am. <laughs> I don't See, even that know says if that two was two years of French coming in for you right now. What's Paying off, up, y'all? Paying off. Paid so many off. years later. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh I'm so sorry for all of the words that I mispronounced. Um, <laughs> no. That was cool. Um, yeah, so this movie is very French. <laughs> this is just a French oh, movie. <laughs> I loved it. I, I, so like not, I miss traveling and going places and stuff. And, uh, I really like France. So I've never been to France. I want to go to France one day. I've never been. Let's go. Let's, Let's do go it. together. I would love to. I would love to go to France. Um, so yeah, the birdcage. This is, I'd never, okay, so I'd never seen the original. I do love the Nathan Lane Robin Williams remake, or rather American version. 
I will say fully off the bat, I did enjoy the first one. Um, but there's a lot wrong with it. <laughs> um, so first and foremost, I think I want to talk about that first scene of abuse. Yeah. Which which is just like kind of I didn't fully expect it. Just because that I I because I also want to talk about how they went around because it's almost a, a exact remake like almost verbatim how mm-hmm. they got around that scene or like what they chose to take out because in the other one they do not abuse each other physically um, at yeah, all. The, um, I I have a whole section of my notes uh, for the next one on the things that they changed and yeah, I think okay, cool. I think this is I mean we're jumping a bit ahead but I think that the remake did write a lot of things that this movie got wrong or yes. just reframed them. And they were all just really minor things that didn't like, it's almost like line for line, almost yeah. the same thing. And yeah, I, I agree with you. There were some things where like right off the bat, I was like, Oh, like I, at first I was like, you know, we were seeing um, our first introduction to this is like the, the dancers. Right. And so it's, yes. um, I loved kind of the symbolism of that where it's like, you know, all of the queens and they're all like dancing with male and female presenting counterparts, right? And they're presenting themselves and like the duality of who they inhabit as gay men and as queens. And I thought that that was really, really great. And like, it was still kind of like a classy establishment, but like at the same time, like them still having to sit there and perform for wealthier people, right? And like still having to be the object of like entertainment and yeah. um yeah i i thought that was a really excellent way to start that and then we go straight into the scene oh, yeah. of abuse like you were talking well, about yeah because I, I think that just that interesting by itself like you were saying that performance of gender where again it's not even just male drag it's like female drag too but the hyper uh it's like performative gender where it's like i'm super feminine and i'm super masculine you have a, a bit of both but i mean within it like take off the wig and it's like hey we're all just gay men or gay male presenting whatever mm-hmm. i like that a lot and then it goes right into like some really fun comedic moments which i loved and then there's the scene of like i know that the, that's the face you want to hit me just do it hit me then and then, and then they fucking to, find the next and yeah, then it cuts to them like coming nothing. out of the room and and he has a black eye and He's just like, just cover it up with some foundation. It's like, oh, it's fine. It's like, it's it's whatever. And I'm like, ooh. So they're a very toxic couple in the first one to me. And well, and he like records like uh, so. Um, I first before we continue, I'd like to figure out which pronouns we want to use for Zara because yeah. um, the stagehand used the right pronouns. It seemed like they wanted to be referred to as her and she, and then the doctor and their partner referred to them as he and used like masculine pronouns and like the their male name as kind of like a jab it felt like as like a way uh like weaponizing that and so like again like being uh having the doctor use those pronouns when clear like it it, uh, yeah so So, which which pronouns do we want to use so this to me is a little tricky just because i know just within drag performance drag in general Oftentimes when queens are in drag, it's she, her. And then mm-hmm. when the queen is out of drag, it's he, him, or however else they identify, whether it's NB or male, female, it doesn't really necessarily matter. But oftentimes what I'd found just being in like drag bars and like working at a drag bar and like being around a lot of drag, when queens are in drag, it's she, her, unless otherwise mm-hmm. specified. Um, okay. But what's, what's tricky is specifically 
Albin and because Zaza, when she's in drag, is like obviously she's a queen, she's the star of the yes. show. But when Zaza's out of drag, Albin, they oftentimes, like even Renato, oftentimes refers to her as her. He uses and, and, female pronouns even when she's out of drag, and even like says, "I'm your mother," you know, just like the yes. So, so that's why I wanted to like because I feel like this movie for sure it was it was really confusing or not confusing, but it was just really um, I wasn't sure. Um, yeah. And for the next one too, just a little bit because like I mean the next one is is I think it's more he him pronouns, but, but even still because like I feel like for the first one specifically that was a time when the terminology wasn't fully realized in a way that was empowering to trans folks mm-hmm. like Zaza as a stage performer she's she her but even then Albin out of drag could still be she her um mm-hmm. but that kind of language wasn't really established apart from like derogatory versions of that like we'd see in like the Rocky Horror Picture Show or whatever mm-hmm. right so I, I like that's a that's a great question because it's yeah, never really know, established. It just felt like a lot of the times, like especially in that first scene where there's like just so much wild manipulation and abuse, like it was like she was referring to herself in those pronouns and her partner, uh, Ronaldo, was referring to her with male pronouns and their male name to try to to try to hurt them and like so go so far as to then record them and just be like look at see i heard you this is exactly what you said last week here take some drugs here i'm gonna hit you and then everything's gonna be fine so like just in this first five minutes we had just the worst picture that we could have of ronaldo and i don't know if i ever really got past that throughout this oh yeah okay yeah he was rough. He was a rough character. Yeah, he's not a. Uh, it's inarguable that he's uh, not abusive. He's an abusive partner, just regardless. Even if later there are some moments of like kind, compassion, and caring, and like fun, sweet tenderness, doesn't matter. He's still an abuser. Still an abusive partner. Well, but those um, moments of of kindness only come after Zara fucking runs out of the house, uh, or Zaza, when she- and is just like. I'm done and is like leaving or is like, I'm going to go kill myself now. That's the only time that he really shows her that kindness. And that's the only time that he allows himself to be vulnerable, even in the remake too. That's something that they did, but like in a less abusive way. But like the only time that they really open up is when Zaza is actually hurting and about to leave or about to hurt themselves. Yeah. Um, That's a really good point. Cause I didn't like, so from, if if we're looking at the character of Zaza, the performer, and Aldine, um, the partner, if we're looking at her perspective as a trans person, what's his partner's name? Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Oh Ronaldo. my god, I keep forgetting. His actions are trash, but if we're looking at her in that scene as a drag performer those comedic beats of like him playing that tape i thought from the perspective of her just do being because to me drag is just characterization and so even Mm -hmm. when she's getting ready she is in character she is performing this zaza hyper realized um very femme very drama very high fashion this she is that girl that's who she Mm -hmm. is so when he's playing back the tape to me, at, seeing it as she is that performer now, she's embodying that, she's performing here, that was fucking hilarious. But only from that perspective, because now that you bring up, the, like, if if this is pre, 
terminology identified trans life and that's just a emotional tactic of abuse in that moment that changes the entire perspective of that scene i agree with what you're saying where it's like you know um like the characterization and embodying this character and everything but what makes me think that it wasn't necessarily that is because even when they are aldine right and no longer zaza they are still over the top and still even in the, the ending scene is them crying in the chapel and like you know yeah. and, and making this big thing and making it about them so to me that wasn't that part of like it and they also had some of the best fucking lines in oh both my god movies. i know <laughs> um and uh because they're just so hyper aware of who they are and I, i'm using they i should be using he let me correct myself um so he says things like I'm dressed the way you are. I'm not good enough. Like, I'm, I'm the most ridiculous. Like, you know, putting himself down, knowing that, knowing how the world sees him. And yeah, to, to me, there was just a lot of pain in all of that and pain that was because the way that he inhabits his, like, the way that he walks the world is just, is very over the top. He's not taking seriously whether he's playing Zaza or just being himself. Yeah. And to me, I didn't really see a, a big distinction. And that felt like more of a form of abuse rather than just like, haha, this is funny. But I can see what you're talking about, like, because we don't have any of that context before in this, right? We just see like, yeah. dramatic and like, I was in drama and stuff, right? Like, of course, yeah, yeah. like when you're inhabiting a character like that is a thousand percent what you're doing. You know? And that's, and that's <laughs> that. So that's how I took it. And so to me, like, because of that and because, um, when they're out and about, Albine's not really presenting female. Like, again, there's not really a presentation of female apart from femness. Because mm-hmm. obviously he's incredibly femme. Like, that's a huge point of contention in the story when, like, there's that whole scene where they're trying to act straight. Like, I go walk into that room like With John Wayne and the guy's like, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's just like, oh, who's this queer or whatever. So to me, it seems like he identifies as he... It seems like he's a male identified person in the world who is just exceptionally femme. And Mm -hmm. that dichotomous distinction of in a heteronormative space, like that doesn't compute. Maleness does not equate feminist and feminist does not equate maleness. So seeing both of those exhibited in one person is very jarring to straight people, which is why all Mm -hmm. the homophobia and queer phobic shit um, ensues. So that's why I know we're still on that first scene, but that's why the first scene to me, Zaza is in the room is a mess she has to go on but she can't she can't even be bothered and i'm dying and i don't know what's happening and what's going on the moment where she's recounting just the badness of the room and how she's just just everything is too much and he goes and hits that recorder and it literally says what she's saying right now he's like i recorded this last night you're performing i need you to go downstairs (laughs) and perform it downstairs you're on in five why are you still here i was like you know what that because of the distinction of performative of the performance of gender outside of the drag club that to me felt very fun and funny again none of the abusive shit fly like because it's like the same scene like they're having this fun moment and then it's like immediately like you want to hit me huh and then he hits her and then you're like oh and she accuses him of cheating on her and he doesn't even he doesn't say no he doesn't which i like another thing about ronaldo that i didn't like was just he couldn't talk to his partner, you know, yeah, about anything. He couldn't just be fuck? like, my son's coming. And I didn't, okay, I did not know that that was his son walking in the room at first because like, 
the way that he strokes his face, the way well, that yeah. he's like, I look good, huh? Oh, yeah. Like, but, it gave off real bad vibes to me. Oh, it, and it so, but to me, that's what I loved. I loved the choice because it's setting up a very clear distinction. There's an assumed on both parties that he's cheating, that when she's yeah. performing on stage, he's having an affair with some somebody, right? He's having an affair upstairs. That's the whole thing. And so even in this first moment where like this young man is now in the room with this older man and like that's not uncommon in the gay male community at all. So seeing this, you're like, oh, he's sleeping with this guy. Oh, they're going to do this. And the like the moment of straightness is when he's like, oh, I'm marrying this girl. And then he's like mad about it. Also, that goes into our first thing regarding misogyny. He's like, I'm marrying this girl. His dad's like mad about it. But we still think, oh, shit, he's still in the closet in the world he's still uh Mm -hmm. not out this is a thing they have to stop sleeping together because of that and then you find out it's like oh no that's his son and like it's this whole thing it's like the first introduction of straightness into this world which i love because it really sets the tone for like it being sex it being gay it being queer being all these things um so that is a choice to make those moments seem really like sexual and all that stuff i loved it i was like yeah like Fucking make us, like, confuse us. Throw it at us. Like, I love this because you're setting this up and then it's like, no, I'm straight and I'm your son. And you're like, oh, yeah, queerness is weird. Like, I don't know. I <laughs> loved it. But what I didn't love is the first line that we're getting in that moment. He says he's getting married. Um, What's it? What's the son's name? Laurent. Laurent, yeah. Laurent says, oh, I'm marrying this woman. And the dad, his initial reaction is like, Tell me the bitch's name. Which and they only just refer like, to her as like the bitch or the whore or slut, yeah. like and without yeah. ever meeting her, without knowing without who she is. Her. Yeah. And so that's one of those things that I want to get into initially with a gay male misogyny. So there's like it is so incredibly rampant in the gay community. I see it. I use it. I mean, because of the pandemic, I don't go out. But even in the last several years, I haven't really gone out much. But when I did and when I would sort of contribute and be a part of the gay male community, say in the Castro or in San Francisco or at parties or whatever, um, gay men hate women. A lot of gay men just straight up hate women. It's gone. It's so far. Like, I feel like here's my interpretation of what it is. I mean, apart from just the misogyny of existing as a male person in the patriarchal structure, a system that tells us to hate women, like that -hmm. tells everybody to hate women, even women to hate themselves. Like, that's the thing. But in like a gay male space, there is this like inherent part of that structure that tells gay the gay part of these men that that that's bad. And so they fight so hard against that. They're like, I'm so gay. I'm so gay. That, that so far leaning in gayness just kind of manifests itself as misogyny with terms like gold star gay. Like, I'm so gay. I've never even touched a vagina. Like, you're so afraid of women that you're like labeling, you're like, oh, I've never been with a woman. So mm, I'm a gold star or whatever. Or there's, and this is an even better one because gay men hate women. Platinum gay, I believe is when it was a C-section birth. So you weren't even born out of. Yeah, it's, it's gross. It's, it's tacky as fuck. It's like, it's, it's so trash. And it's just one of those things that, like, I feel like a lot of people are just like, oh, it's just so fun because we're gay. It's like, yeah, but you're also still a misogynist. And you can you can say you hate women. Like, just say it. Like, you're saying it in not so many words. So why not just embrace it? Like, I don't hate women. Girl, 
come on <laughs> like you, you and, and and using that pronoun in social say, settings and being like pronouns. girl 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 and it's like yes i love it fuck with gender on board but acknowledge your misogyny like just fucking acknowledge it you don't like it is so rampant and so disgusting and such a mess and it comes directly and exclusively from language in the way that gay men choose to talk about women mm-hmm in general, or the way that men talk about women, gay men are not exempt. Because I was going to say, men do you still think men? that that's like <laughs> that's like a part of, like in the same way, like when let's say, if I am I'm a lesbian and I support guns and I do this and I do like, but I'm a Republican and I'm all this, but I'm okay because I'm because I'm gay. Well, be, because I I am a Republican and I like you know, so it's like it's like the token one person or the the exception to the rule. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like where it's like, oh well, not all not all people, not all this, right? So yeah. like it, it's kind of um, using kind of that patriarchal system or that like that guys to like mask themselves under that, so that way, yeah, it's yeah. it's not acknowledging the intersectionalism of existence in that way where it's like, well, I can't be this cause I'm gay. Queerness does not exempt you from racism, from misogyny, yeah. from even homophobia. Your, your queerness does not exempt you from any of those things. There those powers st- podcast yeah. called bad gays, which if oh, you want I to know more gays. about this, you should yes. listen to that. It is excellent. It is very good. And they, it's super um, historical. Yeah, they take historical figures and talk about problematic gay figures from history, and it's excellent. Oh, yeah, yeah if you really, if you know, true, thank you for that plug. Because if I, I love bad gays, if you really want to just like see example why queerness doesn't exempt you from badness and other aspects of social life, go and because, like, what, uh, what was his name? Famous Nazi. He was like Hitler's third right-hand man or something. I forget his name. Oh, I Famously his name. gay. He was super out, super gay, super, super gay. Straight up one of the biggest Nazis. Like queerness, like again, it's so, that's such a like huge example of that. But like, come on, your identity does not excuse you from that. I, I just, I, I'm so tired of people, Jess. I'm so tired of people. I'm so Same. tired of like, and even now, especially too, with everything going on and how a lot of people have sort of woken up to the social justice movement as far as groups like Black Lives Matter and everything that we're seeing, a lot of gay men still cling to the notion that their queerness excuses them. I can't be racist. I'm gay. I can't be this. I'm gay. It's like that is such a silly and uh, just the most uncritical, unamusing, just absolutely abhorrent response like i'm gay and i don't want to work i'm gay and i don't want to do any of the work i don't want to be better i'm gay (laughs) like i don't want to feel bad i'm gay so i don't have to do the work like fuck you fuck off i mean that's super topical now especially with the subject of toxic masculinity and aoc calling out uh, whatever the fuck that senator's name was that like you know, <sighs> called her a fucking bitch. Like, if you haven't gone on and watched her speech, you should. But her whole point was that just because you have a wife and just because you have a daughter and just because you know women doesn't mean that you're not sexist. And I feel like the same principles, uh, like, apply here, where it's yeah, like, well, yeah, just absolutely. because... 
you know other people that are gay or just because you know people that are poor or black or whatever, like insert whatever here, just because you know those people doesn't excuse you from uh, behaviors, you know, and from the way that you choose to interact with those people and the way that you choose to stereotype them. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I I'm very on board with what you're saying. Yeah, and th- this movie specifically, it's just like, you're just seeing that in such an, a rampant way. And like, to me, I love that we're seeing a a certain level of wealth amongst these gays, but at the same time, I'm like, fuck these rich, shitty white gays. Like, I'm still like good for them, and I'm happy we're seeing like a positive gay story, but at the same time, fuck them. I will say, since we are talking about racism, I want to bring up Jacob. Yep the um their housemaid so 70s france i mean racism always exists has existed will exist it is a part of culture especially yeah it's part of culture unfortunately but in this movie their gay maid he's black and he's the only black person in this movie to me I liked that at least instead of just making this obvious token black character in this film who is very femme, very gay, like love this instead of just making him a silent sort of pawn or servant in their house as just sort of like some social slavery type scenario. I like that he responds every time that they call for him or they ask him to do something. He's like, oh, am I just doing this because my white master asked me to do it? And they're like, Jacob. And he's like, okay, fine. And he'll move on. So in the commentary of the movie, I at least like that that is written into the script. Mm-hmm. There, there, is, there is a social commentary from the characterization of this person, this character Jacob, commenting on the optics of the situation in that way. When I feel like, I mean, that's not to excuse anything else from the situation, but I at least like that he brings it up every time they ask him to do something. He's like, am I just doing this because I'm black? And they're like, Jacob. And he's like, okay, fine. I'm doing it. Whatever. Like, get off my back. It feels like he's for um, maybe until the the Christians come. Um, it seems like he's using whenever he says master that he's using it as like a jab at at them yeah yeah but um it still didn't sit well with me especially because he's trying to get on stage and stuff you know and that's what he really wants and he's still being denied that like just so so his foot in the door is literally to clean up after these fucking people you know and it just it did it felt incredibly oppressive and I mean, I'm glad that he did have those little jabs in there, but it was, I feel like there could have been more of that because I feel like so much of the comedy was also at his expense. And especially when he's like, I I can't wear shoes, you know? And so he's like falling all over himself. And then they're like talking about him as like, you know, the help and like putting him down and like putting him down as a way to elevate themselves in front of these people. So I... I don't know. I could I could have done without I could have done without a lot of that. Yeah, I I completely agree. And again, that sort of gatekeeper oppression of you work for us, and then eventually, when we say it's okay, you can perform, you can be the drag queen you want to be. Because again, that's like that is not just like racial gatekeeping. 
and just racism t- tangentially and systematically placed here in this mm-hmm. moment. But it's also just classist and sort of just poverty shaming because it's a sort it's assuming that he doesn't have enough money to get the wigs that he wants to get or to get the clothes that he needs to perform in the show so he has to work for these white people to then not only give him the money for those things but to also give him the opportunity for those things and it's just well and that kind allow of him to wear those too so he has to get permission from these white people in order to yes. be so he needs to get these things from them and then be given permission to utilize them and yeah. like and i think a lot of that again like oh this character was just really derogatory and it all sat real bad with me <laughs> yeah there's there i think just in in terms of it being a gay film they're much more willing to like be playfully racist but mm. just because it's playful doesn't mean it's not racist <laughs> just right. because you're 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 kind of being like oh what's up sweetie like Anyways, here's a fun thing. Isn't that funny that you're black and I'm white? Like, just because you're doing that doesn't excuse the racism at hand or the gatekeeping or the sort of the the classism that's tied to this dynamic that you've established with this person. Mm-hmm. Full, knowing full well you're taking advantage of their lack of funds, their lack of autonomy in this space to something that they want to accomplish. You're putting yourself in that way and saying, you can only have that when I decide that you can. It's he, ownership. He's like an intern. Yeah. 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 So to me, I liked his character story for what little it was. I just liked that he acknowledged the situation at every beat that he had the opportunity to just kind of be like, yeah, this is kind of fucked up, but I'm just going to go do that anyways. It's fine. Um, mm-hmm. That I, I, I liked that aspect of it. But I mean, outside of that, again, the more I think about these two characters, specifically Ronaldo, um, it's trash. He sucks. He's just some rich white gay who's perpetuating all this bullshit well, in the sake of running his business. Yeah, he's an abuser. He's manipulative. Uh, he just tries to control and demean others by like, he threatens to make his queens dress like men as a form of punishment. And then he is arranging for miscarriages from performers' wives. He is really, we already talked about him being like incredibly pissed off that his son turns out to be straight. And like, just, I wonder how much of this is like we were talking about living in a patriarchal society where he is trying everything he can, like in his dress and the way that he acts and what he does to not see his father and his grandfather in him. There's a line that he has in both films that says that when he's wearing that like black, boring suit that he looks like his grandfather and his grandfather committed suicide at 30 you know and like so that's like presumably like the lowest that he feels you know and it's up you know his son forces him to do it which we'll get to his son in a whole in a whole bit so i wonder how much of this character is trying to be different but by being different not realizing that he's still perpetuating a lot of the same learned behaviors that he inhabited or that his parents inhabited and then also, like, the audacity, like, 80% of the club is owned by Zaza, right? Or what's what's his his name? Alden. Alden. Sorry, I keep forgetting. Um, but Alden. So Alden owns 80% of this, but Alden still allows himself to be taken advantage of and controlled by Ronaldo, and he is very comfortable in that role and takes advantage of that so much, and... 
I really, really, really hated that because I think that Alden is the best character in all of this. And I get that it's comedy and stuff, but like there's so many lines that he says that just like really, really hit, you know, where he's talking about how indifference is the worst thing and he's ruined himself for for Ronaldo and he doesn't even care, you know, and he doesn't notice him where he like walks out after like his son that he raised, right? Because the mom wasn't around and refused to be, right? He's like, I would have loved to see your children. And there's so much pain and so much truth in a lot of those lines that it was just, uh, it it always like hit me a little bit differently. Well, absolutely. Because it's also, if we're looking at Aldi and Zaza, this character is the only, to me, good character in this movie like yes. you had said before because he is unequivocally unflinchingly himself he is kind he is always inclusive he is always i mean apart from the dynamic and power structure he is always there is so nothing giving, so maternal so, yes. so sweet so loving yeah. so so authentic in every possible way and like even the next morning after that first night going shopping and going to the butcher and being like good morning and then being like hey how are you and he's like (laughs) you know just the sun's in town so blah 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 and they're like oh great good to know and he's like i'm getting this cake they're like of course you are he's like i know i love this cake and they're like i know you do like that whole this all of these beautiful moments in town like with these presumably straight male people interacting with this incredibly femme person like it is, it's just so wonderful to see that the warmth of character transcends any sort of homophobic act or homophobic perspective that could be presented by these characters who we're not seeing because just they're such a good person. And like, and not to say that being good is the only way to not be abused via homophobia or queerphobia, obviously, but it's just so wonderful to see this character inhabit and bring joy in every space that they inhabit. Whereas Ronaldo is the opposite. <laughs> For yes. the most part, he brings pain in every aspect because everything to him, especially being the manager of this place, is tied to capitalism. His relationship, he's inherently linked with growth and monetary income. He sees Even his, his romantic partner. Relationship. Yeah, he sees his partner as a cash cow. Mm-hmm. in order for me to make money tonight, you have to go down and perform. They came to see you make money. I need to be rich. You need to go downstairs right now. And every... Even though all the wealth is is his, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. So it is it is hard to watch. I think the, the story is well written because those moments, like you were saying, that hit a little harder. I, I mean, they feel incredibly intentional to be like, this joyous, kind person is being like, look, I'm saying this with a big smile or I'm saying this in a funny way. You fucked me up. I'm fucked. Like, this is bad. I don't like this. And like, even when Laurent is trying to tell them, like, you need to change and he's too femme to be here. He's not a believable straight person. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get him to go away without telling him. And even those small moments, however performative and however dramatic they were, it wasn't without warrant and it wasn't without impact because it was so, it was so clear, like, that sucks. Like, I can't be here. I can't be myself. I am not acceptable to the person who you want to marry. I'm unacceptable to them and that side of the family. Like, I cannot exist in your... It's essentially saying, I cannot exist in your life from this moment forward. Mm-hmm. As me. Like, I cannot exist fully to you anymore. And it's just so heartbreaking to see that. Because his partner is just like, yeah, I'm siding with my son. 
you need to go you or you need to change or you need to be different so it's heartbreaking and it's a rough story but like to me that's sort of growing up queer (laughs) so as like a queer person i'm also identifying in this way where i'm like seeing these small moments of like feminist and mask maskness and and sort of like gender fluidity of performative like performing gender in these ways that are unexpected not unexpected but like anti-heteronormative i'm seeing such beautiful moments of of anguish but also comedy melded together in this way that feels very like i'm just like yeah like when oh my god and we'll get to it later but when he comes out in the suit the walk he does to like sit oh down <laughs> and like tries to cross his legs, but then like doesn't cross. It's like not knowing what to do with your hands and not know what to do with your yeah. legs. Like, oh, if that isn't the fucking most identifiable thing, like I remember being in middle school and high school, like look at your fingers, like whatever way you look at your fingers. If you look like this, you're gay. If you do this, you're not. So we're rem- trying to remember these rules in my head of like, if somebody ever asks you to look at your fingernails, make sure to do it this way and not this way, because then you'll be gay and they'll know you're gay. So don't do that or like sitting down in a chair always ankle on the knee never under like never crossing it over don't do the feminine like thing do the masculine like thing so it's all these things so like watching that apart as a part of the story in this it was just so like oh it's so it's just so real and that character is so real mm-hmm. um because i don't like because as as somebody who generally passes as obviously like a cis cis male presenting person I pass in every aspect. So gender for me is not really gender dysphoria or gender identity has never been something I've struggled with or that's something that's never connected. I have never dealt with that. But feminist is something that I've dealt with just being femme or existing male, but presenting femme, like just the, just the mix of that. So like that queer struggle in this movie to me, I was just like, that's so great. I don't know what tangent I went on right now, but um, what were we talking about? We were talking about no, we were, we were talking about how it was this. a little bit tough for me to watch. Um, like, and I hundred percent hear everything that you're saying. I grew up around a lot of queer people, and a lot of like my mom's friends were queer, and so I think that's why like I I recognize that in what you're saying, and where it's like, yeah, this is a thousand percent what you have to think of, you know. And I've had a lot of friends um, through high school and stuff, kind of like share those types of experiences, and like while they're trying to figure themselves out and everything. And I think that maybe it's hitting me just a little bit differently because of like I I still thought it was fun and great, and you know, like both of these films, but like just because maybe like the severity of the times that we live in right now, you know, and like so much injustice is being called out and rightfully so. And I'm just like you were saying earlier, I'm so tired of people and I'm so tired of people not not getting it and not treating people like human beings. Yeah. So like seeing their son just be the fucking worst person in the whole wide world being like, (laughs) I like I know that you raised me and like I fucking hate that character because He's just really one dimensional, which is great. Fine. But like he has no growth. His whole like the whole time he doesn't even say anything to Alden other than just like, whoops, sorry, you got to go. He says that like basically once to him. And then at the end, he's like, but this is my mom now. And you don't see any growth. So I I feel like I, I just wanted a little bit more growth. So that way it would just like it would mean so much more to Alden, yeah. you know, because yeah. he he really does deserve just everything that's wonderful. And so I'm just, I'm just really tired with 
shitty white people trying to change everybody to suit their opportunistic ways. And so right no, it's now hard. it's just real fucking hard. It's It sucks. I loved his character being just shitty, severe, straight cis white because it's just the clear embodiment of what those privileges entail, right? You have a queer world. He comes in. He says, this is too queer. You need to change it for me. You need to change this for me and make this comfortable for me and the people I'm including in my life because this is what I want and I will get it regardless. I need you to change for me and I know you'll change because the world changes for me. I am a straight, cis, white man. That's always the case. I am perfect under this. I will get what I want no matter what. But even that, you're seeing somebody who's having to counteract that, his dad, Mm -hmm. you're seeing these different levels of privilege, right? Where his son has straight privilege, that the privilege that his dad doesn't have, but you're seeing these other levels of male privilege and of white privilege within right. these yeah. spaces. So I'm li- I like that those two characters next to each other allows you to see clearly and definitively these different levels of privilege within it. But he sucks. They're like, I know that the family at the end is just right. like, we love you and whatever. He's trash, unrealistic. I'm so sorry. He fucking, he is the worst. And just... Ugh, I I hate him way more in the second one in the re, in the American remake than I do in the first. The first mm-hmm. one, I mean, obviously it's the same story and it's still he's very bad, but I didn't have as much of a visceral reaction to him being such a piece of shit uh, until watching rewatching the uh, American version. Oh man, yeah. Um, need to talk about the fucking Christian ass family too. Um, oh yeah. I was just going to f- close it off with this. I was having a conversation with my friend uh, last week. Tim, if you're listening to this, what's up? I want to talk about what we talked about the other day. Last Friday, we had a little coffee chat Zoom date, and we were talking about white privilege at large and what it means. Like, So I think it started with the phrase, not all media is for you, which I fully, like, obviously not all media is for you, but more so in a physical capacity, not all space is for you. And white people seem to think that all space is for them. And what that does is especially like in this instance, if we're talking about queerness, him coming in and bringing, making the the space change for him in the same way that Mm -hmm. like white people coming into black spaces because of their inherent racism, they're going to feel uncomfortable. And that uncomfortable energy is going to make every black person in that room have to cater to that feeling because they've brought this thing in here now okay in order to go back to what we were doing or hopefully to get back to that we have to coddle this person because they're uncomfortable in this space but again it's not their space so what the fuck so understanding your privilege and understanding not all media is for you but also space wise not all spaces are for you Mm -hmm. like you don't just just understand that like Granted, if you're invited and you have friends, like go and do that, but also understand that like it's a communal spot and off like and if especially if it's a not a community you're a part of, realize that you are a visitor in this. You're not a part of the community, you're visiting. Mm-hmm. So not not turning the energy of that space inward and then because like, oh well, I feel bad or I feel uncomfortable, then it's essentially just repainting this entire different vibe on the community that exists there. It's just I, I feel like I've already just said this, but I just wanted to bring this up specifically more so targeted about white privilege and how all white people think that all media is for them and it's for them to indulge. And if they don't like it, it's bad. It's like, no, not all media is for you. Not all space is for you. 
check your shit. <laughs> check check your privilege. Check your check your check everything. Like be introspective a little bit, and then go just spend some time thinking. Who am I? What am I? Figure it out. Take with that and grow, because <laughs> that's a great spot to be in to grow and to to learn good things about yourself and to learn how to respect other people's spaces and how to respect other communities. It's like seeing at the protests white people just overtaking and wanting to like shout and have their voices be heard like shut the fuck up like no this isn't about you this isn't about whiteness this is about blackness and celebrating that have some black voices talk like get off the microphone what are you doing (laughs) you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it's not it's this isn't yours and it's not it's not the right time it's not the right medium it's not the right anything just listen it's a great time to listen great time to absorb i'm monologuing anyways (laughs) You were saying speaking uh, and yes, I agree. Um, I do want to talk about the family just before we move on to the next one. Uh, speaking of another type of masculinity, right? Another type of yeah. privilege and now inserting religious beliefs. The whole like Andrea's family is literally like they are suppressing themselves into misery and trying to control yeah. everybody else. And there's this whole thing where like, they are on the committee of moral blah 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 right the, which the is pillar of morals or whatever so like you know talking about privilege and about placing yourself above others right so they believe that they are the best of the best of the best meanwhile and i think that the the second one does a really excellent job of just taking this idea and fucking running with it but they are also the ones that are the most shitty in terms of like they are just complete hypocrites and they run away from their problems and use a lot of like misdirection yeah. and manipulation. They blame everybody else to maintain their purity. They were talking about, you know, how like the dad's partner in starting this like coalition of moral whatever. Um, he dies because he had sex with a black prostitute that was a minor. And, yeah. um, and that's like, the worst thing that could ever happen to him which like that all sucks right like that you had to make her a minor just to make it like extra bad yeah. okay and then he's like oh well we don't have anything to do with it or like i'm gonna i'm gonna pull this out and mom's idea is like well instead of addressing it we're gonna have a wedding instead we're gonna focus on this wedding and it's gonna be so yeah. christian and it's gonna be so like a uh, white wedding it's gonna be like so good and meanwhile like He's the worst person and he's eating like chocolate out of the trash, like trying to hide from his wife and stuff like that. So like there's a lot of like really great visual metaphors for like just how skeezy and how like they do everything that normal people do. They just hide it from others or they just blame other people. And I thought that that was really interesting and really well it was it was a good idea in this one, and I think in the next one it was uh, better executed. Oh yeah, because especially for it being a queer movie, having the evil or the inherent bad thing as a point of conflict is conservatism at large. So it's essentially pitting queerness against conservatism, and that's like the drama. And I mean, obviously, it's more particular than that, but that's generally the drama. It's just it's a reverberation of how conservatism is is inherently bad and like it, it it's this oftentimes religious conservatism that masquerades as this sort of high plane plateau of perfection of 
idyllic responsibility and performance or whatever. And how that is not good. I mean, oftentimes it's just sweeping conversations under the rug because you don't want to have them. It's it's not addressing the actual evils of social misgivings and social injustices of the world because it doesn't affect you and you don't want to talk about it. We pray, we go to church, we're straight, we're rich. Like we're not affected by those people, those other, like it's, it's an unwillingness and uncompassionate form of of american individualism that i and again this is a french movie but individualism at large that is just reverberated over and over again as a way to i don't know i guess like perpetuate it's a way to make them like seem better than everybody else it's a another way that they try to like elevate themselves it's also a way i feel like to alleviate and appease any guilt or wrongdoing because instead of looking inward and trying to figure out within yourself why am i feeling this racist thing or why am i feeling this homophobic thing or why am i why am i feeling this way i'm not gonna look at it i'm gonna pray and we're all good yeah like the give it to god sort of thing yeah yeah it's just it's just a it's a it's a guy's it's i mean straight up it's just a guy's for evil It really is. (laughs) Well, and like even just for like the there's this line that I think is really subtle, but it like really sums up his character. So they only have one daughter, right? Just the one Mm -hmm. girl. And at the dinner, dad is like spewing a bunch of his bullshit, right? Where he's just like hard to find good help these days. We've gone through so many people and blah, blah, blah. And uh, your house is great because it's God and all this other stuff, right? Um, there's this line where he talks about wanting people to have more children and how people need to do that because, like, you know, it's like their moral thing, but like people need to have more kids, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, he only has one, you know? Yeah. And like, so it's the whole do as I say, not as I do type of thing yeah. that a lot of people that like to force their religious ideology on others tend yeah. to do that and that's that's just a way of passing more judgment and of trying to elevate yourself without ever having to look at yourself without ever having to like the unexamined life thing right that we always talk about yeah. where you pass judgment on everybody else but you're actually doing the same things if not worse and so i i that was a line that really kind of stuck out to me well, I think even that line specifically, I feel like, yes, it is absolutely this hypocritical religious moment. But to me, it felt even more classist. It felt yeah. very because he this this rich, independent family, they only have one daughter. She's going to inherit all of their wealth. And then they're just going to maintain this small amount. They don't have a lot of children, so they don't have to pay for a lot of kids. But they want to make sure that poor people have as many kids as possible. So that way they can keep the poor class big and poor and that the upper class can maintain rich and small. And all of that wealth is hoarded within a small subset group of people. So I feel like that specific choice within the movie for that character felt more classist- it felt like classism disguised as religion. Yeah. And I think that that's a really great way. Like they, you know, there's the point where he's like in the Michelin star restaurant and he's like, Oh, this is horrible. I'm going to get this taken away. away And then he was like, there's another line where he says, it's good to have friends in the press and all this other stuff. And he's just kind of flaunting his wealth around this entire time. Right. But 
what I love about that too is the only person that we see that works for him is the driver, right? And in the end, it's the driver that is actually the one undermining him and, you know, yeah. like actually exposing him for who and what he is. And I, I kind of really, really love that. Oh, same. Yeah. Like somebody who's within it, who is getting, I'm, I'm assuming the brunt of so much of this unpacked anger and aggression and disgust, like all of this stuff that he has to pack in with his family. I'm sure he's just espousing that abuse onto people who work for him. And in this case, it's his driver. So these <laughs> moments where the, the driver is just absolutely betraying him at every turn, I'm like, yes, fuck him. Tell the press he's going to a drag club. Tell the press that like, <laughs> like do it, go for it. I love this. Make this guy pay. Like, he fucking sucks. The, there is a moment in this movie that isn't in the other one that I want to say that I wish they had done because I really loved it. The moment at dinner when everything's gone wrong, then Zaza reveals herself as a drag queen and Alden's like, I'm actually a man. And he's like, what? What's happening? And the moment where there's like this tense, sort of palpable like tension in the room of, I, I still don't understand. How can this be? <laughs> Like a parade of drag queens come in the room with a cake and they're just like, hey, we're celebrating. Boo, 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 boo. And then all these drag queens. Are, yeah, they're walking by and just like giving him a kiss. And just as soon as they came in, they're gone. And then it's just quiet again. I was like, yes, they didn't bring that in the next one. But I love it. Because it's like, it's just such a fun comedic moment where it's just like, he can't even grasp the fact that this man's a drag queen or that they're gay or that anything. And then this parade of just <laughs> gay, this gay parade just swarms in and just envelops the room and it's pure gay chaos. And then it's gone just to really solidify the point. <laughs> Well, and just so much joy, too. Like, you notice, yeah. like, the the only time that there's joy in this whole movie is when queer people are allowed to be queer and allowed to take up that space. Yes. And mm -hmm. every other time, it's just straight white people trying to be like, oh, I love God. Let's talk about money. Right. And it's just it's so uncomfortable. It's so hard. And truly, like that is the conflict. Right. Like and having yeah. to change for that is the conflict. But yeah, like that was I, I think that that was just such a great moment to remind us of the joy that is in the community when, again, yeah. you're you're allowed to be who you are unapologetically, like however you want to be. Right. And also like it was a like they were trying to celebrate the anniversary of the two main characters, you know. So that's just another reminder of like this is based on a loving relationship, you know, like I mean, there's yeah. abuse. Ugh. But yeah, like that's that this is at the center of that, you know. Yeah. I do. I like that you bring up queer joy and I want to bring it up in the next one. Just exemplary in a lot of aspects. But you're right. The best moments of this movie is when you're seeing queer people bringing joy and espousing joy in this way that is so organic and so beautiful to see where it's it's not infringed upon. It's not their joy isn't marginalized. Their their existence isn't marginalized. They exist they get to exist they get to exist in every capacity that is and that just act in and of itself eliciting joy it's awesome so cool i love it i did too i mean apart from all the whiteness <laughs> yeah. but queerness in general i'm like this is great and gorgeous and i love it should we do yeah. the next one let's do the next one let's 
In mid-90s South Beach, a young man named Val informs his father that he is engaged to be married to his girlfriend, Barbara. That father is Armand Goldman, owner of the famous drag bar, The Birdcage. Val informs his father that, before the wedding, her conservative parents would like to meet for dinner. (gasps) Gay gasp! After Armand and his partner, Albert, disastrously attempt appearing and performing more masculine, Armand asks Val's biological mother to perform for one evening as his wife. Messages get missed, the dinner's disastrous, gay slapstick ensues, cue Sister Sledge. I was dancing on my couch while this was happening. (laughs) (laughs) It was so cute. I loved it. The intro and the outro of this movie are fantastic. So good. Okay, can I say right off the bat, speaking, because we're already talking about the performance, um, I love that we finally get to see Starina perform. Starring at Albert because oh, we don't get to see that in the in the first one. We and, hardly get any Zaza, yeah. Oh my gosh, I know. So I love that we get to see more performances from everybody. Really, like it starts and ends on a big number, and then, like I said, we see Starina, and then even like what's his name, their helper person. Oh, Hank Azaria. What is his name? Yeah. Even like him when he has like his little dance number in the kitchen while he's mopping. Yeah. So cute. And he's like, why won't you put me on stage? And he's like, you're not good enough. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? He's not good enough. Clearly. Like, look at, did you see that number? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that there was more performing. Um, I do want to get into his character since, since we're talking about it. I do love uh, that they chose not to make him a slave butler person. Not that yes. it was as much of a no. power struggle. Like, I I enjoyed that. It was way more familial. It was way more friend, we're a community, you live here. Yes, there's a dynamic where you do work here as well, but we don't exploit that. You're, you're Not as like, blatantly. Not as blatantly. Yeah, there's more of a kindness given to his character um agador agador is his character in this agador movie. yes yeah and he kind of like talks back and he's like look i'm good enough like he's always like <laughs> pushing for more and he was more of a delight and it, it yeah. felt like he was like playing back with them like whenever there was something he would like give him lip you know yeah. and so i i enjoyed his i enjoyed the way that they reprised this role Agreed. Um, i do want to bring up hank azaria as an actor a little bit only because he is well known for playing characters of color, even though he is not that. I did some research. So, because he did the voice of Apu, that was like a big thing in The Simpsons. Oh. Yeah. And so he did that for like two decades. <laughs> um, I know so nothing he, about anybody. So, thank yeah, you so for letting me know. <laughs> he So, he did the voice of Apu and he's done. A couple other roles where he like he plays like different ethnicities. Um, I was very nervous and I still don't quite know. So he's playing Guatemalan in this. He is in real life. The actor is he is a Sephardic Jew. So he is, uh, I think, Spanish Portuguese. So there's a level of like because that that even still is like fairly white. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and not not to like, I don't know. It's just hard, especially with like the thickness of that character accent at what like, I don't know. I don't think it's bad, 
but I think it might be bad. I thought before I watched it, I was like, that's what, his character is who I'm going to have the hardest time discussing because I love his character, but at the same time, if this is just some white person with this thick Guatemalan accent, also straight, doing this super gay character, I'm like, this could be messy. But looking it up a little bit, um, I still don't know if that's good or bad. I know that he was interviewed and he was very afraid to take the role because he did not want to come across as, he didn't want to offend gay people. He was so afraid of of being femme and playing femme. He's like, I don't ever want my character to feel like a clown, like a gay clown. He's mm-hmm. like, cause I'm not gay, I'm not femme. I don't want that to ever come across as like something that doesn't feel authentic for this character. Which I I don't know. I thought I thought Agador's feminist was great. I thought I think that Hank Azaria did a great job within the character. Is the character offensive? I don't know. He's not Guatemalan. Right. So well, there is that. It's also really interesting, like with you saying that right off the bat too, because I had no idea. I don't, I don't know shit about actors, right? Yeah. And uh, but it's also really interesting that because that's kind of like an admission of knowing that this part is not for you to play, but still playing that anyway. Yeah. You know, and while that might not be as bad as like you know doing something like blackface or you know what's her name. Name any actor that's like done. Oh, Scarlett um, Johansson. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> uh, played a Japanese character or a Hawaiian yeah. character when they're clearly yeah. white. So I, that's I don't what's know. Tricky. I don't. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure, but I don't, I don't know that I am well equipped enough or educated enough on that topic. But it is me really neither. In- it's interesting that he yeah. acknowledged that this is not his role to play, and his fear in getting that wrong. I think to me, because like doing more research about Sephardic Judaism and that culture specifically, him being from, I think, Brooklyn, somewhere in New York, there is a, a, a blending of language within that subset of Judaism that mixes Spanish and Hebrew. And he was oh. raised with that language specifically. Mm-hmm. So because in a couple of interviews, he had talked about that. So to me, like, I feel less bad about it, just knowing that like, yeah, there's there's a level there that just feels like this seems relatively authentic. It's not terrible. Yeah, I don't. Uh, that's the thing is I don't I don't really know how to articulate that as positive or negative. As soon as I read these things, I felt better about the character. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that he was raised having spoken Spanish, because especially with that sort of Latin dialect, it is how thick it is. It seems like if this wasn't a person who at some point in their life didn't speak Spanish could be clownery of an entire uh, culture. Yes. You know what I mean? Well, and I think if this were made today, right, like this movie would get a lot of shit for, um, rightfully so, for not casting queer people in those roles, right? And so I think, unfortunately, having to look at when this was made and what was allowed and what was possible or, you know, uh, like what was allowed in such a big budget film, I guess, is what... absolutely. But yeah, like I, I do think that if this was remade again, it would be absolutely a call for queer casting. Probably yeah. it would be at like a RuPaul's Drag Race, right? Oh, they would you have know? so many drag queens, like it would, famous it'd drag be so queens. Good. Yeah. So to me, I did like because Nathan Lane is famously gay. Such think, a good job. Such a I good job. W- oh. I don't know if this was like after he was out. I don't know when he came out, but. 
kind of piggybacking off of our first interpretation of Zaza um, Albin and looking now at Starina Albert. Albert, yeah. Oh, what a gorgeous soul. What a kind, fun, sweet, absolute darling of a person. Like this feminine joy that just exudes off of him wherever he goes, just this kindness and like to me the those moments of like you don't want me here and i have to leave were way more severe than in the first one just because of the performance it was like the hardest to watch at certain points because like he was done so dirty in so many moments throughout this movie of just like man val is a piece of shit and then armand is also a piece of shit okay so i'm gonna bounce around sorry (laughs) <laughs> I like that. I know you have a list of things that they left out or changed. One of those mm-hmm. being the abuse or the physical abuse rather, because there is emotional abuse in this relationship. The physical abuse of the just hitting. I like that. They took that out completely in that first scene, but they immediately follow it up with something sinister in the same way where Agador says something about like, oh, if you don't let me perform, I'm going to tell your husband that you're having an affair as he's asking you to put out the champagne. And Armand's response to that is, I have two words for you, green card. And then like walks away. So I, because that's disgusting and toxic, but I like that they took out the physical abuse and replaced it with something that was also sinister and trash Mm -hmm. to establish that like, He's not great. <laughs> like cuz cuz that's what these these scenes are establishing that like yes there's some goodness there but overall especially in this moment he's not good. And before we know that like he's not having an affair, he's having his son over and they're going to have this talk, there is an insidious level of like I need you to go so I can cheat on you. I need you to go so I can have this affair. And Nathan Lane is just like having this whole breakdown. It's all this stuff. It's just you're, they're establishing him as a bad person, and I like that they took the abuse out. Is what I'm getting at. I feel like I'm just I keep running around <laughs> the same thing that I'm saying. Jesus, somebody take the microphone away from me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I I I completely agree with you. I think it felt like with this retelling, and it was like it felt truly like a retelling, right? They took the basis of the story and a good amount of the dialogue and just changed some of the small details to where it was elevating the characters and elevating the story rather than downplaying it or watering it down or anything like that. It felt like this was absolutely a more intentional remake than what we normally see, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it didn't just feel like the American version of this, right? Like, I think the only thing that they didn't elevate was the furniture inside. I like the furniture of the first one way more. Yeah. Um, like the, the butt, like anyways. <laughs> but in this one, it still felt very good. Like we talked about, they changed the dynamic between the butler person, right? Who's like kind of not a butler, but just kind of like is chilling and like working and whatever. We actually get to see performances. The kids aren't asking for permission to get married. They're just telling their parents that they're getting married. Yeah. There was fucking hella more butts all over the place. There were so many butts. There were so many butts. Oh my, y'all, I didn't realize there were so many thong bikinis and a million butts. Oh my God. Uh, I love all the men, all of the women. And I was just fucking here for it. (laughs) Well, also just like to me, I will fully say 
again, it's like supposed to be big air quotes, sexy South Beach, Florida. I mean, obviously, I wish there was more diversity as far as body, <laughs> as far as what we're like seeing as sexy. For sure. Because yeah. again, we're just reiterating like thin and and tanned, but not people of color because again, racism, we're scared of them. Ugh, so boring. Um, but yeah, a lot of whiteness, a lot of thinness, muscularness. Not to say I did not appreciate the butts because 100% appreciate a lot of them. great butts. <laughs> and Hank Azaria, who I think is very handsome, um, him by the pool in that pink thong, just like dancing as he's cleaning. I was like, yes, I love this. Oh, <laughs> so this is so silly and fun and gay. And he's very cute. So I'm very on board. Um, yeah, ton of butt. Yeah, and I think that they took a lot of the character development that they had given to, uh, what was his name in the first one? Ronaldo. Um, yeah. They took all of his character development, basically, and gave it to Albert in this movie, to Starina. And I was so here for that. Like, the other one, I had like half a page of notes on, on Ronaldo, but in this one, I have like three lines. And for Starina, I just like all of that was transferred over. And I think, um, the performances in this were just so good and so, oh my gosh. so much more nuanced. Like, I really loved watching Hale and Williams like go through and, kind of trying to help each other be more masculine rather than only putting it on Albert, like, or Albert's character, right? Yeah. I love that that was a journey they went through together. And they they didn't just show the breakfast scene, right? They showed, like, you know, they were on the beach trying to walk and trying to be, like, trying to talk about, like, the dolphins or whatever, you know? And I think that added so much, so much of a level to both uh, Robin Williams' character and the relationship between them because it really... You felt like, like Albert wasn't in this alone, right? Yeah. Where oh, in the other yeah. one, you felt like that a hundred percent, and like they kind of get married, kind of like in, on that bus scene, right? Where, um, yeah. where it was like, look, I told you I had the papers, and here they are, like, and it was half of whatever I have is yours. This is like, I love you, I don't care, and that is kind of all that you could expect as a queer person from the nineties, right? But yeah. it was just so. There was their, their the relationship was, was so much deeper. Yeah, there was actual genuine love there. And although Armand was messy and emotionally manipulative at times, there was genuine love there in a way that there wasn't in the previous one. Like it felt so and like I love that you brought up the fact that it wasn't the 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 onus of the negative of the negative being femme was not put on the one character. They were they were trying to reconfigure their own feminist together like when they're talking about sports and he's like what? oh my god i wrote it down because i thought it was very cute <laughs> nathan lane's like oh yeah i feel the same way or whatever and then he stops and he's like was that the right response and then robin williams is like i don't know <laughs> like yeah <laughs> i'm actually not sure maybe like th- this just moment of true like honest just friendship th- apart from their romantic relationship there is an obvious friendship there, a caring, a concern, a kindness. And I like that even in that scene specifically, what they didn't do. So in the first one, when they're trying to do like the act more mask, act more butch, whatever, he gets hit because his partner is called a queer in this mm-hmm. restaurant. And so he goes to stand up for him. He's like, did you call my boyfriend queer, or my friend queer, whatever. Um, that They took that completely out of this. What instigates the fight in this one is right after that, 
Nathan Lane accidentally falls into um, some random guy who's sitting there. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And the guy's like, it's fine. No, yeah, no problem. And then Robin Williams jumps in because he's trying to perform masculinity. And he's like, actually, it's not fine. It's your fault. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? I Whatever. He's like, <laughs> yeah. no, you better be sorry. And he's like, really? Okay, I guess we're going to get into a fight. Whatever. And he's like, yeah, you're a big fool. Blah, whatever. And then the guy stands up and he's like six and a half feet tall. Like he's just like a really tall dude looking down on him. And it's. The fight is instigated because of performative masculinity. It's not instigated by queerness and homophobia or queerphobia in any capacity. And I like that they're reframing the negative instead of being like the negative of being the queer thing. The bad thing is performative masculinity and pre- yes. and, and like masculinity at large in this way. And that intention in that small scene, I was like, that's great. That's so good because really that's what it is. And if we're going to go to Val... That's all, it's like all performance-based shame to try to adhere to this heteronormative world. He grew up in a queer space. He grew up in a queer world. I mean, those are his parents. Those are his dads. Like, that's who they've always been to him, you know? Like, even though he's not, um, what is Nathan Lane's name? Oh, my God. Albert. Albert. Oh, my God. AAA. Come on, (laughs) y'all. I know. I know. It's so hard to keep these names. (laughs) It really is. Um, even though Val is not Albert's biological son, he's always been his son. Always. Mm-hmm. Always. And so that's what makes it even worse is that they, they establish that very, very clearly. I mean, even that first night when he comes up from the show and it's like in that clown thing, he's just like, I knew you were sleeping with somebody else. He's like, it's Val. He's like, what? It's like, yeah, Val's here. It's like, why did you tell me? He's like, surprise. And then he goes into the room and like, picks up his clothes like he's home like i'm gonna like do some laundry such a loving and I pet, mother like, like he just such like a loving grabs it and then he brings out like the the like baby book and just like yeah albert loves val more than anybody in this entire film which makes it so much more tragic what happens. which also just makes it makes val an even bigger piece of shit <laughs> like as if he wasn't Surely. already bad it just amplifies his badness to the next level in that way because like he's coming in and has to change everything has to change everything queer about it uh val fucking sucks yeah uh oh can we also talk about how he is just a rapist oh yeah (laughs) Um, yeah because how his girlfriend (laughs) is okay so there's a line when barbie god they named her barbie is (laughs) telling daddy dearest that like she's gonna get married and he's like but you're not even 18 yet and she's like, well, I've been sleeping with this 20-year-old for a year. So they've been fucking since she was 16. And, and he was 20. she's not even 18. And he's going to marry her now. This is okay. This is yeah. what... So that was something that for as much intent as so much else of this film had i'm not sure why that's a thing because then later on they uh there's a continuity error where they say that she's 18 yes i thought Um, that too so it's it's very strange but yeah for for i'm not sure did she have a birthday we're not seeing i'm not sure if this is them trying to like show another side of toxic masculinity right through val or if that was just bad writing but like that seems like just such a bad way to go about that yeah Yeah. i i mean i would hope that a movie i mean i'm not going to give it the full benefit of the doubt of like it being incredibly intentional but 
they did not paint Val well. He is not a likable character in this world. He is only enabled by his father in all of these ways. And they sort of reflect each other's badness in that way that only uh, residual or, uh, I guess, inherited masculinity or inherited like that can only show in like this familial place despite uh, sexuality in that way. But I don't know why they did that. I don't know why she's under it. I don't know why that like that immediately is like, this is bad. No, 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 no. Absolutely the fuck not. Why is Val trying to have sex with this 16 year old and he's 20? What's the deal? Why is dad, who is, again, the moral president of morality or whatever, why is he okay with his daughter being underage fucking some dude? He seems fine with that. And that is, like, all glossed over when, like, and that's just another side of his character, I think. And maybe that's why they tried to make her underage, because it's, like, sex before marriage and sex when you're a teenager is bad, right? Like, that's a thing that they used to tell us in church. And then it's, like, he's not even acknowledging that because he's so hypocritical and because he, he refuses to pass judgment on anything in his immediate life right yeah um so that's the only reason why i could think that they would make that decision yeah i get. yeah i I guess i never thought about that that i think that's probably why yeah just like making this glaring incongruity a part of the character in order to amplify the hypocrisy of the parents Mm -hmm. because already we're establishing them as like villainous and bad in their religious conservatism yeah you know what i think that's why they did it but still Fuck the parents and fuck Val. Val is bad. And him going into the queer space and just being like, this needs to all change. I need you to change this. I need you to do this. And like, it just, oh my God. And not even having the audacity to even like talk to this person that just loves him so much face to face, but make daddy do that. Like, what is it about Val that makes him identify and want his birth father's love? But like discredit the person that loves and cares about him the most in this entire story. But that's that's the the glaring individualism that exists here. Like despite the love, despite the community, despite the family that he has, no matter what, he wants what he wants and what he wants is her and what comes with her are her parents. So he's going to do whatever he needs to despite what that means for his family to make sure he gets what he wants. Mm-hmm. And that's just that stark American individualist mindset where I'm going to get it no matter what. And not even just American individualism, but I mean, yes to that, but also to male privilege, to white privilege, to cis privilege within this space. Like, I'm going to just do whatever I want and get whatever I want no matter what, because I've always been given that thing. Like, mm-hmm. and I want to, so this is what I wanted to get back to as far as queer joy. So even in this moment when they've agreed to some extent, well, they haven't agreed. They're actually trying to keep it from Albert. They're redecorating the house. They're taking all this stuff to try to make it seem less gay or less queer. In that moment, the people who are helping them with moving all of this stuff is like the drag queens in the queer community who exist there. And the birdcage is their bar. The birdcage is like, almost their home where they get to exist and 
be joyful and, and, and have that space. And even in this thing where they're, they're literally taking away queerness out of this room, literally taking away, they're sucking the queerness out of this space. They're still finding joy in it. Like when they go, they go to the pawn shop across the street and they get that big moose head. It's like, I don't know, is it too is it too butch? Or like whatever. And then like, yeah, we got this we got this moose head and look, we got all these books. Like, look at all these cool books that we got. Like, what the fuck? That's so great. These old like, we're having, books, they're boring, right? <laughs> yeah, but like, look, we're we're making the most of it. Like, we're exhibiting our queer creativity in this way. Like, even in a moment where queerness is literally being erased, they're still coming at it with a queer creative joy that exists that they they like i just think that's so beautiful and like i also love in that same scene he walks out of the bathroom holding playboys and he's like who put these here like who put these in the bathroom and some gay where is it some gay is hanging a literal tapestry some gay is literally putting up a tapestry in this room and says leave it it's what they read (laughs) And I just absolutely, lo- I just, there are so many moments in the movie where I just, it's, it's so fucking funny. It's and so just good. This, it's like <laughs> the gayest thing is just like, leave it. It's what they read. Like, again, I think part of that just goes to the, the internalized misogyny of like, oh, there's like females like, ugh, no, thank you. Within that, that I think is toxic and gross, but <sighs> I just, in this moment of erasing queerness, I think that was a very good joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I think this movie was a bit more fun because they took out some of that, like, more nasty stuff, like we said, with, like, you know, the drugs and with the type of manipulation that was used, you know, and yeah. stuff like that. And they made it more of, like, a journey that these two characters were taking together for the love of their son, even if one of them did not get recognized for it until the very end which again Val did not earn any of that credit you know and it felt very shallow when he goes over and he's like this is my mommy and I'm like okay that is so great that you did this now but like what the fuck changed your mind where the fuck like did you like because we don't see any moments we don't see any time with those two characters other than like Val holding a box and being like sorry you gotta leave you know and it makes me think like and i i don't i i never think about this when we're watching like how would this be done next but like we've already talked about like having more body positivity body inclusivity being more inclusive with like the the cast and also like maybe making that stick a little bit harder maybe like developing that relationship a little bit more and giving less time to the rich christian guy you know yeah because we don't like so much of his dialogue was like so dumb and it was like oh rush limbaugh the best one in the world you know like they're like i feel like we did not need half of his dialogue because it was just it was showing us the same things about the same character right and and give give val and and albert five minutes let them do their thing let them talk it also, it do, it just doesn't make sense. You're totally right. Like him being like, this is my mother at the end. It's just like, where is that coming from? When, okay, when did you get that? And where did it come from? Because you were literally raised by these people. You grew up in this queer house, in this queer community with queer people. Why are you so stringent on hiding that? Why are you so, so pursuant of this erasure 
And then after you're like, you know what? No, she's my mom. Mm. I'm I'm better now. It's like that does not make sense at all. Like it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I hated him, and I and didn't. He, I I hated everybody but <laughs> Robin Williams and uh, Albert. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I loved Agador too. Oh, Agador, okay, yeah, Agador. All of all of the queens such too. A, like all the queens, yeah. Everybody that was straight, I didn't like. And I, I, know, I mean, right? that's kind of the point, right? Like, I like we were talking it. about with the last one where it's like queer people being allowed to be queer and have their joy and just fully exist to the fullest extent, have this amazing, incredible joy. And then, you know, when straightness comes in and tries to tell them how to be and how to act and what they should do, you know, it inserts like a, a sense of uncertainty within themselves and how they are and how they present themselves to the world and makes them question yeah. literally like like we we're talking about like the scene where albert walks out in the suit and he <sighs> sits down and he's just trying to figure out what to do with his hands and like and what this movie did too is it hung on those moments and really like let you lean into those in a more fulfilling way i think than the first one Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah, and 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 I think even like the external shots of of them walking around the city, like when they're walking into that restaurant, literally everybody's turning their head to look at them because they're like, gay, 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 what? Like you're starting to have that a very clear reflection of public versus what it means to be gay or queer there versus their home where it's like this nourished place of queer freedom, juxtaposed with the public judgmental eye and like there's that scene and then even when albert's waiting for amand to talk to christine baranski val's biological mother he's sitting there and he like powders his nose or like um what was it like the blot for sweat yeah, um, yeah he does that it is, but yeah the receptionist is just like looking at him like with like a weird look on her face and he's just like oh i'm just doing like like it's fine the only time he ever has to explain himself is in straight space Right. Only time his existence is ever a problem. It's a problem because of the binary, because of heteronormativity. It's the only reason it's ever a problem. And so and I like that they made it clear with these small moments in public, being a, a, a femme sort of male presenting person in this way. I like that they butted that up more so than they did in the first one. Yeah, it, it felt more intentional. It felt like it created better story. But I think um, so. Yeah. I on the subject of if this movie was remade, I would like to see more kissing. I want more. Yeah. I, I want them to be able to like hold hands more and like you know kiss. Also, if it ended with a marriage between Albert and, uh, that would be so much better. It should have ended with really their cute. wedding instead. S Ugh, see, <laughs> I absolutely agree. I think like if this were to be remade too, I would also love. A uh, more trans-led narrative, yeah. Because especially with like it being a drag bar, like there should be a more trans-inclusive narrative that has to do specifically with like budding drag culture and its tie to trans identity and trans existence and how. I mean, even some of the nomenclature, some of the the verbiage wasn't even there for trans people, and like, yeah, it just there because it's drag specific. I wish there was more of a conversation about drag as an art, but also trans identity and trans folks and, and what that means. But also like, like even if one of the drag performers was also trans, so there's the performative aspect of the identity, but there's also the living aspect of, of trans identity in the real world in that way. Like mm -hmm. I would love more of that conversation. And in my head, I keep thinking of like 
what if they got Peppermint to perform? Because she'd be great, like, as a trans person, but also as a drag queen. I'm like, give it to her. That'd be so great. And also just, like, make it less white. Like, it's just, like... 100%. Ugh. Yeah. I love I love this movie. It is too white. I think it's incredibly funny. Like, <laughs> I just... I cannot handle Agador in every moment. Like, when they're getting ready for the dinner, and then he's just, like, he's just barefoot all the time. Val's just like, aren't you going to put on some shoes? He's like, no, his shoes make me fall down. And he's like, well, you need to put on shoes. He's like, okay. And then the next time <laughs> the next time we see him, he's, like, duck walking down the stairs in, like, shoes that are, like, five times too big and just slips and falls and then immediately stands up to answer the door. And he's like, I'm Spartacus. He's putting on, like, this big, <laughs> thick, masculine accent to try to cover it is feminist but he's also slipping in these big clown shoes and anytime he's walking around he's like bowing to people trying to be like it's just it is his character is just so funny and i like i can't i loved agador so much and i also just it's just so it was fun it was funny it was kind fuck val fuck that conservative family i also yeah i just like the the whole idea that the the way to get him out is he has to confront his gender and his conservative religion or his religious conservatism by being put up in drag to escape the press. I like yeah, absolutely. as an ending. I absolutely I like I think that that is a really fun way. It's a very fun like the only way out of here is you got to put on a wig and let us paint you like I'm so sorry. This is it. This is the way to do it. And so there's a level of like just confronting that. I think is cool. Especially after like him being so insistent when Albert uh, reveals that like, I'm a man, you know, like jig is up, you know, and Barbie's dad was just like, so I know what I see. I know what I know. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like you see like his absolute disbelief for what he is seeing because it goes against everything that he knows, everything that he thinks he sees, like he's not as good of a judge as he thinks he is, you know, so I, in that moment, he's trying, he's having to reconcile that in a very real way. And then he has to himself put on the makeup, put on the wig, put on the dress in order to I mean, it's still about preserving him and his legacy and who he is. Which is shitty. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So like, not really acknowledging that too. Like yeah. I, I feel like if this was remade, having a little bit of falling action or something that reconciles with that. But like, yeah, he sucked and the mom sucked. Both moms sucked. So like his wife was like, oh, we don't socialize with him, right? Like, cause they, they decided to kill off the, the partner the same way. And she was like, we're in different social circles. So it's fine. Like having to preserve yourself as a white, christian person by deflecting and by dodging and all of that was so much more prevalent and then can we real quick talk about like the mom in both of these movies val's mom because oh yeah uh, how she is kind of predatory yeah and by kind of i mean incredibly (laughs) yeah yeah um yes so I liked the portrayal only because it elicits the discussion of predatory behavior is not gender specific. Yeah. Which 
I appreciate completely. But she's bad. She's just a bad person. In both because of these. And she was paid both- off to not be in Val's life. Because she's bad. And also, like, the night that they had sex to have Val, she forced her way into his room. You know what I mean? It was just so manipulative and so toxic in that way. And and then we're seeing this moment where she's like, let me play with your chest hair. Like, oh, my God, you're so masculine. Look at that chest hair. He's like, hey, can you stop? Like, yeah, 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 I know. But ha ha, that's so funny. Will you help me? And she's like, oh, she yeah, let me help and myself. Like, mm, yeah. Right. And then poor, yep. like, Albert having to walk in and see that, you know, like, yeah. that sucked so bad. But yeah, I, I agree that uh, showing that predatory sexual behavior is non-gender specific, that was really good for portraying that in the same way that there's a line too with the mom where she's like, you know, I was never very maternal. I'm not sure if this was in this one or the last one, but she's like, I was never very maternal. And William's character says, I am, you know, like also like breaking those gender norms, right? Where, you know, the man is supposed to be like, oh, whatever. And the woman's supposed to. So I, I love that they broke that down. And even though this is kind of a throwaway character, right that there was nuance and purpose in that and i mean to even further the conversation of like gender performance generally in this movie going back to the moment when you were talking about how barbara's dad is in complete disbelief because this person who he was really enjoying is a man and not a woman his disbelief is just completely tied to the fact that he was having emotional feelings for a man. Yeah. And he cannot get past the idea that as a straight man, he can have emotional, positive, possibly even sexual feelings for another man because what is presented to him is gender performance. So it's like, in the same way the drag is a performance, it's like the, this guise of, of feminist, of female presentation that is the only way to be attracted. It's just like, gender's a fucking construct. And I love that this moment, like, he is so in such disbelief because he cannot believe that he within himself has the capacity to fall for another cisgendered man in that way. Because he he doesn't identify as gay. But again, sexuality is a spectrum. Gender is a construct. I like that this movie, even in 1997, is in its dialogue and sort of character Development and character acknowledgement is having these conversations, albeit brief. The conversations are still being had in that way. Even though if it's not explicit or incredibly expositive, it's still there, right? Like, that's right. the disbelief. He can't believe this moment. And I, I just like that as a conversation about gender performance. I, I really, yeah. really love that, too. Like, the look on his face, like you said, like, realizing that he could be attracted to... To somebody that's not a woman was... Yeah, truly. It was great. Yeah, especially 1997 having these conversations. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was... was, It's a good... There's there's some messiness, but generally it's good. And Robin Williams. I just... I love him. Robin Williams is so fantastic. Such a good actor. He's fantastic. And Nathan Lane's so good. And I just can't even handle it. Yeah, they both did such a stellar performance, and I still love this movie. <laughs> I still love this movie, too. Oh, one last thing. Okay. There's a shirt that I want that Agador is wearing in the scene 
Oh, I think I know which when one you're talking was, about. It's a black crop top with uh-huh. white bold text that just says straight looking. Yup. And it <laughs> is the absolute best. I want that crop top so bad. That'd be so cute Oh my God. Ugh. So silly. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. Perfect. Again, yeah. Anyways, right. everything's a construct. Everything's fake. Queer existence for life, y'all. All right, so Eric. Yes. We just talked about the birdcage for a long time. And we did. La cage a fou. I think yeah. I said it. That was I great. I butchered that. I butchered it, but it's cool. Uh, I'm owning it. Um, <laughs> so for the original French film from the 1970s, who do you think this was for? White gaze. I mean, really, like I, I think I've said that before in the past. But I do think it was just for white gays, like completely and unobtrusively. Yeah, it was for white gays. Who did you think it was for? I would say the same. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's very yeah. male, uh, very white. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was not for female audience who is being called a uh, bitch and whore for. Yeah. Uh, that Majority was not who time. this was for. No, they did not write that with that in mind. Did you like it? You know what? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a soft yes. Did I enjoy myself watching it? Yes, but I enjoyed it because it echoed the same comedic beats that the new one had that I had more of an affinity and a history with. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it was like these muted moments that in the other one are so effervescent and like uh, rich. I feel like it was it was like a muted version of this other thing that I'm familiar with. Um, and because it's similar, I liked it. But it was, again, I'm going to say it's a soft yes. Did you like it? Um, Not to like copy off of you. Like I'm like, I'm looking off your test <laughs> right now. But like, I'm going to say the same because like, I remember watching this film or uh, the original years and years and years ago and really, really loving it because it was Robin Williams, because it was funny. It was sweet. Especially like in the 90s as like a kid, it felt like more progressive and like, yeah, absolutely. Why are you going to be a jerk? You know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, I because it echoed that same thing and I had a greater appreciation for it after like knowing some of those beats and knowing some of those lines that were taken directly from it. You know, I I did enjoy it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like we're on the same page there. (laughs) Yeah. What about... The 1997 version. Do you think this was new, interesting, or the same? Progressive, regressive? Um, yeah, give it to me. Yeah, I think it was progressive, but also the same. Um, because mm-hmm. I feel like they did a great job with the relationship, taking out the physical abusive aspect. I was like, I feel like that really just repaints the character himself, but also what the relationship looks like in a way that like, for the story that's being told, it doesn't set the tone well. Mm-hmm. And it's also not like, if he's just abusive, like, I don't care. None of the impactful emotional stuff is going to land for me if I know that he beats his husband. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I can't. I, I Fuck him. Like, fuck him completely. I'm not on board with that. So I'm happy they changed that. And some of the other things I was on board with generally, I mean, I think story-wise, it's almost beat for beat the same. Just mm-hmm. they they didn't change a whole lot with the story, yeah. So I think it was progressive, but also very similar because it 
stuck with a lot of the same text. Yeah, um, I agree. I think like this movie was 30 minutes longer than the original, I think, something like that. So the time that they added in, I think, added a lot of depth to the characters, to the relationships, uh, particularly with the two male leads. I really loved that. I loved that the parts that they decided to change, which seem like such small things, just completely changed the story. Like you were saying, they're no longer an abusive husband, you know, that that sort of thing. I really, really liked that. This movie, which is entirely rare for American remakes of movies, mm-hmm. it told the original story almost the exact same way, but better, I think. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. something that America is not known for when doing remakes, right? Look at Let the Right One In and Let Me In, which was like, oh, God, But I really do think that this was excellent. I think it was progressive. I think they added more in the spots that they needed to add more. Mm -hmm. Um, There are points where it could be better or, you know, it could be a little bit more beefy between some of the characters, but we've already discussed that. But yeah, ultimately, I think it was interesting. Uh, even though it was, even though it was the same, it was, it was new and interesting at the same time. I agree. Yeah, that's yeah. That, I feel the same way. Yeah, it was it took the same story and made it better mm-hmm. by by almost doing the exact same thing. Like they just told a better story. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Who do you think this was for? I think this was for fans of the Broadway musical. I don't know. I, I, I was trying to be funny, but like I'm, I think I'm looking at more realistic because I think wasn't the the birdcage was adapted from La Cage of Fall. As a Broadway musical first. Was it? I think so. So from the French movie, they adapted it to a stage play, a musical. And then from that version, they wrote the film without the music. So in the same way that Hairspray happened, right? Hairspray the movie, then Hairspray the musical, then Hairspray the movie. I think. Interesting. from From what I read, I think that's what happened. So I'm going to say it's for Broadway gays. Oh, I like that. Who do you think Um, it's for? I think that it's so hard. I don't know, because because of the cast, because of who was in it, like, you know, Robin Williams, especially like the 1990s was just like such like a profound actor in like a lot of spaces for children and Mm -hmm. things, you know? So like, I don't know, because like, I feel like, even as a kid, like watching this, I would champion him and his cause no matter what, because yeah. he was Alan Parrish, because he was Mrs. Doubtfort. He was he was yeah. always the he was Peter Pan. You know, he was all of these characters that were for me. You know, he brought joy. I, I, I yeah. Totally, yeah, I agree with that. I think um, he helped make this story more accessible for everybody. Yeah because of what he brought and who he was and because of who he is, I think. I agree, yeah. He's the best. Robin Williams is so good. He's great. Um, I just, I want to do it on this podcast just so we can dissect it and kind of give it the nostalgia critique. Have you watched Mrs. Doubtfire recently? No, I have not. Okay. I watched it a few years ago. It is... Much different than, uh, so a lot of the jokes, and by a lot, I mean a lot of the jokes, are based solely in transphobic humor. 
Ooh. I mean, like, now that you say that, yeah, I'm thinking about he's it. A oh she, my God. And she's a he. It's just like, <laughs> what is happening? This was supposed to, like a lot of the comedic beats are literally just there to comment on the fact that like like the bus driver scene where like he's in there and then he talks and the bus driver's like, oh, what? Deep voice? Like, excuse me? Or like when Mrs. Doubtfire is being standing up and what's his name walks in and it's like, he's, I can't, huh. like all of that stuff, all of these funny moments, it's all based in transphobic humor. I know it really Yikes. fucked my shit up so hard because I was like, and around, I, I and around lying to women, right? Like, oh, 100%. Like, and around like fraud, like, Wow. Oh my goodness. Because I love Robin and I, Williams. I love him in that movie. That. Yeah. But Jesus. It is it's it's not the same movie I remember with like everything that I've learned and I've grown with. It is not the same thing. The just the wild casual transphobia throughout the entire thing is just like a mess. Wow. <laughs> it's Damn. it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, but absolutely. I still love Robin Williams. Still love Robin Williams. S- still, absolutely. I, I he'll always be Alan Parrish to me. I think. Yeah, I think it's that for me. Um, did you like this movie? I think we know. I did. What. I really like this movie. I think it's a great movie. I think it's fun. Go watch the Birdcage. It's uh, a big gay silly mess. <laughs> um, it's sweet. It's a sweet. It's sweet. Did you like it? I loved it. Cool. Yeah, it's it's great. It's sweet. Straight white people trying to change everybody sucks, and you're the villain. <laughs> Don't change I mean, anybody. Yeah. Just let just let everybody be their person. Straight up, just exist. Like, oh God, is that and like other people, people exist? Like that's people. Chill. Yeah, people really love getting in each other's business and making it drama. Like, just exist and let other people do the same. What the fuck? And don't, and like, I mean, obviously it's more than that. Don't perpetuate ideology that makes, I mean, I guess, I guess that just kind of goes with existing and not making other people's business your business. That includes eliminating racist, internalized racism and internalized mm-hmm. queer phobia and all that stuff. But God, seriously, just like mind your shit and stop. Like this movie would not have existed if Val wasn't just this, inter- this not even internalized because he's not gay. Or I guess it is internalized. This homophobic piece of shit. Like, if he wasn't this shameful, so shamed of his queer family, of his of his tie to the queer community, this movie wouldn't have existed. He sucks. Yeah. Also, been like- he's a rapist, so he can go fuck himself. Like, fuck him too. Amen. Completely. Anyways, mm-hmm. about the movie's great, so go watch it. <laughs> yeah, go watch it. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, cool. I think that's it. Thank you so much for joining us. We love you so much. You can write into us at nostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. Comments, questions, concerns, topics, uh, new movies. You want a guest star? Sure, call us. I mean, email us. I'm not giving you my number. Um, <laughs> <laughs> special thanks to David Gisero for providing tech support, Danny Barkley for editing our podcast, and thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jess. Remember, stay cute. And stay critical. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.